0: Welcome to Carbon Times, as the global drive towards creating a more sustainable world for us all continues to gain pace, our goal is to create interesting content where we will speak to people from across all sectors on what can drive sustainability in everything that we do. We are inviting interesting guests along to talk to us about their experiences and what they are doing to share knowledge, experience, innovation and ambitions. As ever, we want to get everybody talking we all have a responsibility to create a more sustainable world.
1: So I came across bamboo-based tissue products in my home country, China. And at that time, I didn't see anything like this in the West.
2: Bamboo grows 30 times faster than trees. You know, in the world of stretched resources, it's, it's a much more sustainable um, material. It became a no-brainer for us to 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 launch a business doing
1: this. We have a great brand, uh, we have great products, and we have a great team. I think all these things combined, it makes Chicken Panda a high growth successful business.
0: Welcome back to the Carbon Times podcast. Did you know that the world uses around 42 million tonnes of toilet paper every single year, which is around 184 million rolls? Over time, the production of toilet tissue has become less and less sustainable, with issues like deforestation of key carbon removal locations, such as the Boreal Forest, with some countries running heavy deforestation programmes. Today, we will be asking the question, is it time to do things differently? So we are delighted to be joined by Chris and Eleanor from Cheeky Panda. Cheeky Panda are striving to change the way we consume toilet tissue. So... Starting with you, Chris, welcome. A little bit of an introduction to yourself and to Cheeky Panda.
2: Hi, my name is Chris Forbes. And Cheeky Panda was the brainchild of my partner, Julie, and we concepted this business in 2015 and launched it in 2016. We both had a passion for the environment and in a world of stretched resources. We looked at bamboo, the world's fastest growing plant, and thought, why are we still cutting down trees when we can use something so replenishable? So with that, we tested the product to make sure it was high quality, lovely, soft and strong. And then we created the Cheeky Panda. And for the last sort of six years, we've branched out this business across multiple products and countries. Yeah, and now we've got a a decent sized team of about 27 people and we're growing across all
0: aspects of the business. Excellent. And uh, welcome, Eleanor.
1: Same bit to yourself. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for having me today. So my name's Eleanor and I'm the sustainability executive here at the Chief of Panda. So my role is to predominantly oversee operations and activities relating to sustainability, both up and down and the wider value chain. So I work on things such as our social and environmental certifications, so our B Corp certification and FFC. I do a lot with regards to our communication, so just ensuring that our clients and customers are aware of our sustainability initiatives and also our roadmap to net zero carbon. So identifying what we're doing really well as an organisation, but also where we aren't doing so well and where we can feasibly implement changes.
0: That's really good. I'll come back to a couple of points on that, especially around the B Corp status, because I find that really interesting as a side subject in itself. Chris, you mentioned some really good points there. When you had the brain moment, well, your partner had the brain moment <laughs> and you supported it, that um, you know, when you were doing your initial research, is there a reason why bamboo is not widely used?
2: I guess it's because it's not grown that commercially in the West, uh, where it's kind of grown commercially in china africa parts of south america so because it's not readily available we haven't really sort of thought of using it and i think it's only in the last sort of six years when a lot of people started to use other bamboo products such as bamboo socks bamboo clothing bamboo flooring the awareness of how wonderful bamboo is as a material and how versatile it is has really sort of come to the fore and we just happen to be the ones that we're disrupting our sector you know which is
0: the tissue and hygiene part excellent another associated question with that then would be around it's good that you mentioned the quality aspect you know the kind of two key points you mentioned there was soft and strong right and it's very important we didn't want to just be like a a one percent product if you've got a really
2: boutique niche you're not really going to make a big impact but if you can like attract the mainstream by having a product that's, you know, as good, if not superior than what's already in the market, then you can really attract an awful lot of customers very quickly. And and that was really,
0: you know, one of the sort of key things that attracted me towards it. You know, you can make large impact. Excellent. So when you were looking at sourcing routes, I guess, was that an initial challenge that you're trying to do something really good? And I guess this really feeds into some of the bits you spoke about there, Eleanor, in terms of, you know, having to report on what's good, what you can get right, what you can't get right, and the challenges that remain within the business. So you mentioned that it's not commercially widely available in the West, Bamboo as a product. So what's your kind of sourcing channels at the moment and what are the plans around that?
2: So Julie's Chinese. So that's how we were aware of the product because it wasn't sort of a commercially widely used product in China at the time outside of the region where we got it from. So the first thing that we did was we went to look at the bamboo plantations, look at the co-op farming, look at how it was harvested and how it was turned to sort of pulp and and then converted. And that's understanding the sort of cradle to grave aspect of tissue was something that we did very, very early and understanding what the carbon footprint is. And a lot of people don't realise that carbon exists even within recycled tissue, because recycled tissue, it comes from, you know, old paper. So it has to go through a pulping process. It has to have a lot of chemicals that are applied to it. And I would argue that those chemicals aren't necessarily good for the environment and not very good for people's skin. So you've got the carbon within recycled tissue, you've got a lot more carbon from cutting down trees because with recycled paper, you don't have to cut down the trees. However, when you look at the cradle to grave aspect of you know, Cheeky Panda, one of the things that we've had levied at us over the years is what well, comes from China. Surely that um, must have more carbon in it. Well, actually, global shipping on container shipping is extremely efficient from a transportation perspective. And actually, the main part of the carbon that's produced is within you know, the manufacturing, so the pulping and then the conversion. And where bamboo benefits, it produces 35% more oxygen and absorbs thirty percent more carbon. So it's got like a sequestration part to it. Uh So that's where,
0: when you compare it against other tissue, we get some net benefits there. There's an interesting thing I read about recycled toilet tissue, actually, around comparatively, I think it was a Tesco normal brand was on average 1.8 grams of carbon per roll and recycled was 1.1 so the difference in itself is very minimal and, and kind of inconsequential in that sense.
2: Yeah we'd looked at that report originally I think it was two grams for regular and then it's like 1.1 I think that report's about 10 years old I think Ellen has updated it recently I think we had to use a different data source didn't we have we,
1: yeah, so when we were looking into our carbon calculator, which the purpose of that is to compare the bamboo tissue paper to your standard tissue paper, and we were looking at other sources, including things like defra conversion factors for the standard paper. So we were using different sources because, like Chris said, the things that are available on the Internet are very outdated. So it's just important that you check, you know, when were these pieces written and sort of what reference data is included on that as well.
0: This is why we always bring the experts on when we have these conversations, you see. Because uh, all I can ever do is my Google research, which only gets me so far. <laughs> always makes for a good question, in there. It's always <laughs> in that sense. So, what are your numbers around it? I don't know what, like, where have you got to in that journey in terms of being able to, you know, be proud of the numbers that you're reporting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as we just mentioned, something that we're quite proud of at the Tiki Panda is that we have this carbon calculator, which we have put together based on information like our life cycle assessments. So since around 2017, we have helped to remove over 18,000 tonnes of carbon from the atmosphere and saved over 230,000 trees. And we have plans by 2025 to have saved 1.1 million trees and by 2030 to have removed over 500,000 tons of carbon from the atmosphere
0: those are really really impressive numbers in that sense that so with one of the biggest problems of generally of toilet tissues themselves being around deforestation this type of approach can have a significant impact on being able to do that
2: I mean it's it's a massive you know it's almost making toilet tissue obsolete as a go-to choice you know if you've got you know a computer that's Built in the 80s, why would you know you a mobile phone that kind of runs 30 times faster? Why would you still be using something that's 30 years old? And it's, I could do that, compare that, that you know, what bamboo is to trees. And you know, the big tissue companies would argue that they're running sustainable practices, but then if they were running sustainable practices, they wouldn't be cutting down the boreal forest they wouldn't be cutting down the scandinavian reindeer forests all of which have had extensive deforestation over the last couple of years so it's very easy to say that you're involved in some sort of community projects and that's part of your esg however you know you really have to sort of scratch underneath the surface and actually go well you know why are you still
0: cutting down these forests if everything's 100 sustainable so in terms of let's go back to your early points around B Corp because B Corp status is really really a fantastic thing I think in this country especially because I mean still there's less than 700 companies in the UK that have B Corp status and it is you know it's a brave move Chris you know in that sense because it does give you an extra layer of complexity and an extra layer of governance that exists around your business so I'm assuming Eleanor that takes up a lot of your time does it?
1: Yeah, so we're actually in the process of doing our recertification now. So I think what's really great about the B Corp process is that there's nowhere to hide. You know, you have to report on your customers, your people, your the environment. Um, it covers all bases, and then I think it's a really great initiative for businesses to show that it's not just about profit, it's about purpose as well. And being a company that has sustainability at the forefront of our mission, the onus is on us to give back what we can because whilst we do everything we can to be sustainable, it's really not possible to be 100% sustainable because you have to take, even if it is a rapidly renewable resource like Bamboo, we're still taking and for that we have to give back. And I think that's why having that B Corp status and also being FSC certified just goes to, you know, to really confirm the fact that we are doing what we can to give back to the Environment
2: where possible. Yeah, and just to sort of add to the B corp's status side of things. It's really good governance. So I mean, it's essentially the same level of standards you would expect from public companies. But most companies actually really start to think about this when they're sort of ten times bigger than where we are now. But if you can actually implement the foundations of B Corp around people, environment, you know, purpose, you what you actually do is you kind of grow. You're growing on very strong pillars. Mm -hmm. and it means that you and you're measuring everything so actually if you do decide that you want to list the business in some sort of IPO then actually all the processes are already in the business so it's a it is hard it's not easy however it is definitely best in class
0: you're the second organization we've had on and discussed you know that status and the benefits of it and you know, it comes back yeah, a little anecdotal saying that we've discussed at that point is that it just makes good business sense. You know, to B Corp status is just, it just makes sense to do it because like you said, Chris, it does facilitate you running the business the way it should be, you know, in a very open and transparent way, I guess, which is very easy to not get right or to avoid because it might be, you know, complex, complicated, or too much to do when you are small and you're running at, you know, a thousand billion miles an hour, which I'd imagine, you know, some days feel like that for you guys.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say there's quite, unfortunately, there is quite a lot of greenwashing out there and people use the green thing to market their businesses. And. And the good thing about the B-Course certifications, you can't cheat it. Everything has to be hard evidenced against some of the other certifications, which kind of look more like a tick box and say that you have it. And I think that consumers aren't stupid. And, you know, we all want to live in a world where the world is renewable and we can have a generation for, you know, our generation can pass the baton on to future generations. And we want that transparency within the lives that we live and the companies that we buy products from. And. You know, those that have decided to make this step are definitely the first generation of the next generation of companies.
0: A lot of the time people think that as a company, you're only really as good as what your customers think of you. So how was that this time around, Eleanor, when you were putting the reports together and the numbers together? What's the customer feedback? How are they feeling about you?
1: The customer feedback's really positive. I think for so long, consumers just weren't aware, I think, of the implications of your traditional tissue paper. I think it's just something that's not been widely reported on for good reason. And I think that now we're a new generation and, and we view sustainability very differently. And I think that it's a really easy switch just to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And like I say, we just haven't been aware of the damage that is caused by the traditional tissue industry. And we're here to disrupt that. And I think the consumers really like it and they really resonate with the brand and the mission. So yeah, the feedback's been great. And what's really great is we see a lot of repeat customers as well and not just one-off purchases, they come back to us because they see the goods that we're doing and they want to support our journey to, to be a disruptor to this industry.
0: That's really good. It's really good to see. You made a good point there around generational. So I find I talk about it all the time. I'm enamored and fascinated by, you know, I'm of a certain age, so a certain generation, your generation, Eleanor, and those that are now coming into the working market in terms of their commitment around this type of issue and I guess my question is twofold to both of you like Chris what's your experience of people joining the business and when you're attracting people from that generation who are our future stars etc you know are you finding your messaging important around that and making you know the questions you're getting back to you and then equally Eleanor I guess once Chris has answered was that part of you know based on Chris's response was that part of what did attract you to, to Cheeky Panda so Chris
2: Well, I mean, we didn't necessarily, when we became a B Corp, we were one of the first companies to become a B Corp. So we didn't really understand that it might have that sort of pulling power attraction in terms of talent, you know, wanting to work for us. And I think that's been something that we've sort of understood over the last couple of years that, you know, purpose is just as important as career progression. So, you know, it's a a really good thing for us to have there. And I think when you've taken a business from essentially Two founders to the sort of size we are now, and hopefully bigger. You've got to put a lot of processes in, you just sort of running through it, so that it's a constantly changing environment. And for some people, I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. And for some people, you know, it's an experience, and but they won't be there for the full leg. And I think the younger generation does sort of change a bit more than maybe what my generation did. But I think you know, you can also see you know the impact um, that you know they
0: get from the time that they've had with us. So then, Eleanor, did that ring true?
1: Yeah, well, when I was, you know, new to the Cheeky Panda, I really resonated with with the company. I wanted to work somewhere that I could see, you know, tangible results to the work that I put in in terms of sustainability. And as I mentioned, the younger generations were growing up alongside it. It's at the forefront of, you know, every company's mission, whether they're greenwashing or not. They're mentioning sustainability. So I think for this generation, it's really important that we do what we can to preserve those natural resources. And I think it's something that. Yeah, it's at the forefront of everybody's mind and we want to do what we can and working for an organization where we can see real differences. Just like those statistics that I mentioned, that's really impressive for, you know, an up and coming organization like this. And you just have to think of the good that we could do if we were ever to you know reach the size of some of the competitors that we're up against in this industry.
0: Do you understand much about the demographic of your clientele? Is that reflective of that generational thing? Do you find that more of your customers are at the younger end or?
2: I think a lot of our, you know, we it's ironic because we like people that use cheap panda products can be from a newborn baby to, you know, a, a 90 year old elderly man or woman. So we sort of transcend social classes as well. So we're just as likely to be used by sort of CDEs as we are ABCs and it's, that's always kind of sort of surprising. I think different people um, like Cheeky Panda for different reasons. Some people like the name of the product. Um, people, Some people love pandas. Some people, I, mean, I think why people stay with it is the quality is good. And then once you understand the social mission that we're on, it's something that, that makes it very sticky and it makes them sort of adopt um, across multiple products rather than, you know, just the toilet tissue. So we've got like toilet tissue, kitchen towel, facial tissue baby wipes nappies and beauty wipes as well as a professional range for large offices so i think we've got like a really nice range that you know because not
0: everybody wants one thing we call it the house of bamboo where you can get everything in one place excellent i'll pick up on a point you just said there around the products aimed at large offices because you know when i think about you know a lot of my clients today and in the past that have big corporate operations. You know, at one point I was working for a company that employed sixty thousand people in the UK. You know, that's a significant number of toilet tissue papers and hand towels and whatever else that might be used across the office. So, I'd imagine in that type of setting, it can make a significant impact. Do you know any numbers around that?
2: Yeah, if, if on scope free, so because the carbon reduction, if they're using toilet tissues and hand towels per thousand people they'll save about one tonne per month so if you had an organisation of 10,000 people that's 10 tonnes per month or it's 120 tonnes a year and there's very few carbon reduction product switches that can demonstrate that level of carbon saving but also I'm a big fan of water harvesting and solar panels and you know sort of advocate like a green office environment but they do take quite a lot of time to put in and they are quite quite capex intensive as well Mm -hmm. whereas with us switching the loo roll takes literally a minute so it's very easy to implement a sustainable option
0: i'll ask a slightly left field question then i guess here that you know you mentioned a lot of people like the name and they like the branding and they like have you found that a negative in any business context i'm just thinking of some of the you know larger corporate very traditional organisations whether it might go against their stream i think you'd have to be hard pressed against humanity to dislike <laughs> pandas regardless of your
2: corporate setting. You've been asked that one before, then. I mean, it's quite a neutral name. I mean, there's another company out there that's got a much more cruder name. That's You know, it's it's quite an online gimmick. But I think when it comes to the office environments, I think they would struggle with that type of thing rather than, you know, where Cheeky Panda is, which is very sort of family centric very fun sort of brand in that sense. Yeah, I mean, we're fun people as well. We like to, you know, have fun and make impact. And if, if you can, you spend a lot of time at work in your life and if you can make an impact and, you know, get rewarded, then, you know, that that's
0: pretty much, you know, ticking an a lot of boxes for a lot of people. I think the stats around your life and work, I mean, if you work a kind of normal career, I think it's around, you spend around 60% of your time with your work colleagues rather than anyone else in your life, which is a scary statistic in that sense, which then, you know, does make a difference in who you work for. Do you find, I don't know if this is a question you can even answer, but do you find that going down the B Corp route, the fact that you are a very sustainable company, that that helps with your you know generally the feeling around the business that you you do attract people with that similar mindset and you know does it run through the business and does it help
2: we've certainly got a number of people that have got like environmental degrees i think and eleanor's got a sustainability degree and some of our sales people have got quite heavy leaning on sort of like geography and environmental and scientific subjects so i think mean, people that are quite sort of data driven quite like that because they can they can measure it I and mean, I've had a lot of friends that have sort of work in professional services careers and you know they find our work environment a lot more fun they want to talk about their work environment and want to talk about our tissue business which I find hilarious so
0: <laughs> and uh Eleanor to those people listening on the other side of the headphones what's been your experience then in your tenure so far
1: Yeah, so for me, it's like Chris said, it's been great working here at the Cheeky Panda. It's a completely different sort of culture. Prior to working at the Cheeky Panda, I worked in consultancy, which was very different. So it's refreshing to come to an organization like this, which is much more people-focused uh, there's a bit more of an element of fun to it. And it's also, like I say, given me a chance to see tangible results in regards to sustainability. I was still working in a sustainability role, but working at an organisation like the Cheeky Panda, I can actually see outputs of the work that I put in, which I think is really great. And it's really motivating and it it makes you want to, you know, stick around and see how far we can get with this.
0: Excellent. I've often sat in boardrooms having conversations <laughs> with, you know, C-suite people and, I can see like, you know, the impact, you know, the numbers you said earlier, Chris, are just they're very difficult to kind of argue with. I guess if you were convinced, well, when you are on your teams are convincing people that this is the right thing to do, I guess, what are your key focus messages?
2: I think some of the big businesses have got some real challenges when it comes down to how sustainability budgets are allocated. And it's not just like one department that kind of influences it. It's kind of, it's facilities management, it's operations, it's finance and procurement. And, you know, if everybody wants to make a sustainable switch that costs less money, if it was that easy, then everyone would have sustainable solutions. But generally, because sustainable solutions have a lot more process and integrity to them, it costs more money. But then if somebody's motivated just to drive down costs, then they're not really going to want to take on any, sustainable initiatives that come over across their desks. So we've seen an awful lot of, you know, great intentions from big organisations to change. And then when they found it's been like a 20% premium, they've gone, well, we'll do it if it's less money. But I know how much money has been put towards sustainable initiatives, but that money is all been spent in, you know, a lot of us getting spent in consultancy, for example. Mm. It's actually, why don't you actually stop spending so much money over there and actually allocate or redefine procurement's objectives so that they can spend more money. They won't be penalized for it. In fact, they'll be rewarded for it. And you'll actually have a more sustainable organization that will have a better workforce engagement because putting in sustainable solutions definitely drives staff retention, staff happiness, staff morale. And that can save you you know millions of pounds if you're a sizable organization. So it's actually, people look at cost the wrong way around. And I think if we can have a, You know, if the C-suite's looking at this properly, they should actually be looking at like, you know, how sustainable initiatives throughout the organisation can save money. But I often find as soon as it goes down to a linear point of view and almost by a department and certainly to like junior buyers, it can just basically become computer says no.
0: Yeah. Do you know, it's really interesting that it doesn't matter who we speak to across a range of industries, that it comes back to the same desire in my mind that, cost and carbon needs to be on the same line of decision-making that at every level, you know, and my main background is real estate and all across real estate, you know, from cradle to grave, that cost is king, you know, from construction, management, disposal, everything, you know, cost is king. And now we're in that challenging time where things do have to change and money does have to be divested into making sure that, you know, we all contribute towards the message. So, we're definitely not there and it is a really challenging thing
2: i mean i think we're getting there right so I mean, if i looked at the adoption in the last two years compared to the first four years it's rapidly accelerating so it's definitely something that is changing and i think it's changing you know a, a lot faster pace. but what we're doing is we're sort of seeing it in the really forward-thinking organizations so like the high-tech space and you know the, the sort of investment banking or, or sort of the legal space um and that's great, and it'll start to drive it, but it would be great to start to
0: see it a little bit more into the mainstream as well. I think, again, that goes back to that generational thing. That's what's driving it. Eleanor, with all the stuff that you've been looking at and you know, having to dig into all the numbers and everything around the reporting, if you were talking to your counterparts in big corporate organisations, the sustainability leads in those organisations, what would you be you know, sort of shoving in their direction that's going to feed them the right information to take up to the boards?
1: I think it's really focusing in on that point of how we can help them reduce their scope three emissions. As we transition to a net zero society, we want to make the transition as easy as possible for everyone. And if we can support their scope three emissions by just switching out their toilet tissue or their kitchen towel in, in the catering spaces, then they're going to, that's just going to be one step closer to their net zero targets and we can help make it that so much easier for them. So I think that's something that's, really important and it's a collective goal that we're all striving towards so if it can be made easier in any way i think that's something that these um you know sustainability counterparts you know would find endearing and want to take on board
2: and it's not quite hand in america yet but in europe you're starting to see a delta between companies that are at the forefront of sustainability initiatives against those that aren't against their peers you're starting to see like a 20 percent difference in valuation on their market cap And I think that also, especially in public companies and, and some private companies, that board pay is now being linked to sustainable initiatives. You know, putting these things in, actually, you could find that your company is a lot more valuable. So that's more recent phenomenon. But I think that the more that markets can encourage that type of behavior, the rapider the adoption curve will be.
0: It's definitely a global shift in the right direction. There has been for a few years, but none more so. I think the pandemic itself has helped to accelerate all of this decision making where people sat about and actually, you know, I think there was some really great things with, you know, the world coming back to life a tiny bit, you know, and people actually been able to see the impact that we do have, you know, being reversed in just a, such a short space of time. You know, I think that was such a a start, wake-up call for everyone and then coincidentally having pop 26 over here which i think you know the uk did a relatively good job of getting it out there and making sure that it was you know promoted the way that it should have been so i think there's been some really great moves of late so i guess chris there, there'll be some people sat out there now they've got a fabulous idea and it's very sustainable and you know they're in two minds of what to do you know what would you do to give them a kickstart or you know what type of advice is there for those people
2: I was speaking to somebody yesterday, and he told me about three ideas that he had that somebody else then went and did and made a lot of money out of. So if you are sitting on an idea, I said to him, so listen, well, generally, if you've got an idea, then the universe works in a strange way, and there'll probably be 100 other people with the same idea at the same time. So while you might think it's an original idea, actually, there's something that's forcing that decision. So there's a problem out there, and you can solve that problem, and the question is do you want to be the person that solves that problem or do you want to be the person that's sitting at a party saying, I thought of that idea, but I didn't do anything with it? So best thing to do is fail fast. You know, as I'm a great believer in bootstrapping things, is not putting everything on the line, but try to get something into market as soon as possible and see if it works. And if it does work, then people will start to back you because there's a lot of money moving into the sustainability space. And, if, you know, if we can inspire you a little bit to, you know, be an environmental entrepreneur, then... You know We've done our
0: job to inspire you, and that, for me, is very rewarding. Fantastic stuff. Okay, before we wrap it up, I'll ask you the carbon times ending question that we normally ask for people then. I'll ask you first, Eleanor, if you had the opportunity to have lunch with Boris Johnson tomorrow and you could come away from that having left him with some layer of influence, what do you think he should be doing? What should our government be doing?
1: I think the government should be putting more focus and more funding into these smaller businesses that are trying to make a difference. I think there's a lot of frustration with regards to what can be done on an individual level with regards to sustainability, because at the end of the day, we can be as sustainable as possible on an individual level, but it's these large corporations who are the biggest polluters. And I think, you know, the saying goes, you can vote with your money. And I think that's great. And I think that's really important. So I think there should be really more focus put on these organizations to, to, yes, to support them in their mission and to encourage the consumer that, you know, they have a choice and then they can really make a difference just through their purchasing power.
0: Excellent. And yourself, Chris, what do you think the drivers should be? I hate
2: to say it, but tax is always a good motivator. So the plastic tax and suddenly you put tax in and then suddenly you get like organizations saying instead of a 20 30 target, it suddenly becomes a 20 24 target so you know tax on carbon definitely drives very positive behavior and if the government can make a lot of money out of it and then reinvest that
0: back into the green economy then it seems to be a win for everybody apart from the big polluters very good point very good point okay that's been a really good chat i've really enjoyed that thank you very much for joining us thank you everyone out there for listening we'll see you again next time on carbon times